right, I am excited to be preaching tonight. A little nervous, but mainly excited. I'm excited because I, it's been a while since I've had an opportunity to preach. I think I preached in high school chapel a couple weeks ago. Not that they remember what I preached, but I preached a couple weeks ago in there. But aside from that, it's been a while. I've been, or before I was on the college chapel preaching schedule, the high school chapel preaching schedule, the elementary chapel preaching schedule. Uh, and then I got... Uh, the honor and privilege of teaching the high schoolers in the academy. So I got taken out of the college and elementary chapel, which I'm a little bitter about, but I don't have as many opportunities to preach. So when pastor asked me to preach, I was reared up and ready to go. Although I must say, I had a message in my mind that I've been mulling around and I've been working on for a while, and I thought, surely this is the time to preach. My wife asked me yesterday, she said, do you know what you're preaching? And I said, yes, I know what I'm preaching, I think. But if it's like normally happens, the Lord has another idea in mind. Sure enough, late last night, the Lord told me, he said, I want you to preach this message. And I said, God, I can't preach that message. And he said, no, you have to preach that message. When I preach the message, you'll understand. This is probably the first time I've ever taken a junior church message and adapted it for adults. This is going to be not a normal message that gets preached tonight, but I promise I won't teach it like a junior church. But if it sounds a little corny, it's because it was originally meant for junior church kids. So I don't know which of you has been acting like a junior church kid to deserve this, but that's what you're getting tonight. Uh, No, but uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number four, Ephesians chapter four, we're just going to read one verse tonight. Tell you it's been a, it's been a good year, hasn't it? Full of blessings. I'm not sure why pastor asked me to preach tonight. Pastor keeps saying, hey, let's end the year strong. And then he asked me to preach. So I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but, uh, no, it's been, a, it's been a year full of blessings. My greatest blessing from this year is sitting right back there in the nursery. Never before have I been so thankful for nursery workers until I had a child of my own. Uh, but no, it's a blessing. I tell you, you always hear growing up, and you have it in your mind, and you know, i got to build something and leave it behind for the next generation. You know, I can't leave them with nothing. I have to do something for the cause of Christ that I can pass down to the next generation so that they can add to it and do even more than I could. Uh, man, that came alive when I had my own kid. And it's like, man, you put a face to it? You think, man, I have to leave something for her. Man, i got to build something for her. Uh, this isn't just about me now. This isn't just about the church. This is about uh, my own daughter. I tell you, it means something. And uh, anyways, I don't know where that came from. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, hopefully you're all there uh, already. We're just going to read the very last verse, and it says, And be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It's a very simple verse, very easy to understand. Uh, it's probably why I like preaching it in junior church. Uh, some of the elementary kids will probably remember hearing me preach this a couple times to them before, uh, maybe even some of the college students. Interestingly enough, I think this was one of the messages that they paid the most attention, probably because I treated it more like a junior church than a college chapel. Uh, but hopefully we get what I'm trying to say tonight without you, without, with you overlooking the corniness of it. But it's called a KFC Christian. A KFC Christian. Uh, so let's stop and we'll pray for just a minute. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together in church. Lord, I pray that we would make the most of the opportunity that you've put before us. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, speak to us from your word. God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, hide me behind the cross. I pray that they wouldn't hear Lauren Jackson speaking, but God, that they would be touched by the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you would use me in whatever way you see fit. Lord, give me the words that you would say, nothing more, nothing less. And then we pray. Amen. Um, when you hear the name Kentucky Fried Chicken, we all can envision in our minds, whether it be the famous bowl of chicken, and I almost brought one. I have it that I use for visual aid in junior church. Uh, it's cleaned out. Don't worry, I didn't leave the grease in it. But I cleaned it out, and I usually use it as a visual aid, but I thought tonight y'all would probably be too distracted, so I didn't bring it tonight. But uh, we can visualize the sign, or we can visualize Colonel Sanders, and we all know the name KFC. We can all relate to that. It is a household name among us. Now, you might have mixed feelings. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But either way, you still know what KFC is. In fact, we just left the Christmas time. Uh, interestingly enough, I read that KFC is the traditional Christmas dinner in Japan. I'm not sure if there's any truth to that, but I've heard that several times. Interesting fact. Uh, but, Chris, but Christmas time, KFC, I don't know what they have to do with each other, but there are over 22,500 KFC restaurants in more than 150 countries and territories around the world. It is one of the most globalized restaurant chains around the world, all because someone had a dream to make some fried chicken and wouldn't let anything stop them. Uh, it's an amazing story, really. Now, Colonel Sanders was no great Christian, but he built something on purpose, and it wasn't easy. He began selling chicken dishes, not in a fancy restaurant, not even what we would consider a fast food joint, but in a gas station. Uh, gas station food, in case you didn't know, has a term that's uh, added along to it that's usually not something that you just go and say, oh, let's take my wife out on a date, let's go to the gas station. Uh, and yeah, that's where he started selling his fried chicken. A competitor once tried to shoot Colonel Sanders, but Colonel Shander, Sanders thankfully was able to shoot him first, otherwise we may not have... Kentucky Fried Chicken like we know it today. Praise the Lord for the Second Amendment. <laughs> Four years later, he bought a motel to add to his restaurant. Both of them burned down to the ground, but he didn't let that stop him. This determined man rebuilt and ran a new motel until World War II forced him to close it down. Following the war, he tried to franchise his restaurant. His recipe was rejected 1,009 times before anyone accepted it. Colonel Sanders was determined, dedicated, and decided that he would succeed no matter what, but he had to do it on purpose. He had a lot of opportunities to quit, but he purposed that he was going to give the world some fried chicken. What if you and I could be a KFC kind of Christian? What would it take? I'm going to look at three areas, pulled very simply from the verse that we read tonight, three areas of our lives that have to be done on purpose. They don't happen by accident. It's by us purposing we're going to do this in our life. So, if we're going to be a KFC Christian, number one, we need some kindness. We need some kindness. Uh, our text verse says, and be ye kind one to another. Now flip back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know what grace is? Grace is God's kindness to us. You didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it, and yet God, through his kindness, gave us his grace. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for grace. How many of y'all are saved tonight? You know, it's through that grace that we've been saved, God's kindness. Uh, if God wasn't a kind God, we wouldn't have salvation. And yet God showed us his kindness. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, the Bible says, But love ye your enemies. 
and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Hey, aren't you glad that God saw us in our sins and was kind to us, a sinner, that he was willing to extend salvation to us? Hey, if you're saved, you have experienced God's kindness when you experience God's grace. So what should you do? You should take that grace and kindness that's been given to you and show that same kindness to others. It's very simple. We hear it from the time that we are a child, and yet it's something that we should be reminded of time and time again. Show that grace to others in your speech. The Bible says, let your speech be always seasoned with grace. Um, when you're standing in line at the DMV, that's not the easiest time to show grace and kindness to others. Um, maybe whenever you've been cut off on the highway, is your speech seasoned with grace? Uh, maybe when you're stuck with high schoolers all day, is your speech... I'm kidding. But no, you can think of a time, the things that frustrate you. I don't know about you, I have things that frustrate me. If they happen in my life, my blood pressure just instantly skyrockets. How is your speech in that time? Is it seasoned with grace? Do you show kindness to that retail worker who has no idea how to do their job? Uh, do you show kindness to that coworker who rubs you the wrong way? Kindness to that supervisor who maybe gives you more work just because he knows you're willing to work hard. We should be kindness, not only in our speech, but also in our actions. Our actions should display kindness. Uh, we are Christians, aren't we? Kindness should be the character trait of every Christian. And yet, why is it that whenever I go door knocking and I meet somebody who says they are a Christian, they seem to be the meanest people behind the door? Because kindness no longer is a character trait of many Christians nowadays. We should be kind to others. I can think of the story of the widow woman of Zarephath. She had a little meal and a cruise of oil. And you know what she did? She saw the need of the man of God, and through her kindness, she met his need. And her kindness repaid itself, didn't it? That little bit of oil, that little bit of meal, guess what? It kept on going. Why? Because of her kindness to the man of God. She denied herself, put away her selfishness to fulfill the need of God's man. You know, kindness should be the, a regular thing in the life of a Christian. Uh, I remember as a boy growing up, every single service, I would go to the church office and I would grab a styrofoam cup and I would walk down the hall to uh, the little water fountain and I would fill that up with that amazingly fresh cold water. And I would walk up and I'd put it on the pulpit for my pastor. I did that every single service for years. And I wanted to be kind to my pastor. I wanted to show him my kindness because I loved him. He had invested in my life. And every year at Christmas, not wanting it, not looking for it, not expecting it, he would always give me a small gift card to Walmart or McDonald's or something like that to repay me for my kindness. You know what? Kindness is its own reward. Sometimes we wonder why people treat us wrong. Well, maybe we should look at how we treat others. Kindness usually reciprocates itself a little bit. How is our kindness to other people? Kindness is in short supply around the world today because people care more about themselves than they do others. Uh, you know what's going to keep you from being kind? Your selfishness. This is basic stuff. When you're selfish, you're not going to be kind to other people. When you're thinking about yourself, it's going to be hard to think about others. What is the saying? Jesus, others, you. Um, we should put others first. Uh, sometimes it's good to be reminded of that. And can I say this? Your family should see your kindness probably more than anybody else. If you can be kind in the home, then you can be kind to other people. Sometimes we forget that the people we live with, they really see who we are. Um, if we were to ask the individuals that you live with and you spend the most time with, hey, is that a kind individual? What would their answer be? 
Would they say, oh, yeah, they're kind? Would they say, yeah, when they feel like it? Or when they're on top side, when they're having a good day, hey, kindness should be the character trait of every single Christian. If you focus on being kind to your family, maybe it'll be easier to be kind to your friends and your strangers and even the people who hurt you. Hey, Jesus said that he loved his enemies. He was kind to us when we were evil, when we were his opponent. We were opposing him. You know what? God still saw us, and he extended his grace and his kindness to us. So number one, if we're going to be a KFC Christian, number one, we've got to have some kindness. But secondly, we need some forgiveness. We need some forgiveness. Look at our text verse again, Ephesians 4, verse number 32. The Bible says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know, people today cause a lot of problems. Uh, people back in the Bible day caused a lot of problems. Cain killed Abel. Judas betrayed Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, who would be considered the premier preachers of the day, they argued with each other. There was a need for forgiveness back then, and there is a need for forgiveness today. Um, anywhere that there are people, there's going to be a need for forgiveness. You know why? We're all flawed. We all have a sin nature. We all hurt other people around us, even sometimes those closest to us. There's a need for forgiveness. Uh, Christmas Eve morning, my wife went out to eat with my mother-in-law at Panera Bread. That was a scary time of my life. I was at home alone with my daughter. Anyways, she comes back from Panera and brings me a bag of chips, and she says, I got you a bag of chips. And I say, wow, thank you. I'm glad she thought of me. Well, that was Christmas Eve. Of course, Christmas Eve, you're digging into the goodies as you're making them, so I didn't have time to eat the chips. And then Christmas Day came, and all of the uh, food that comes along with that, and we've been working on the leftovers ever since. I haven't had time to get to that bag of chips. And then this morning, I look over, and my wife has an empty bag of chips sitting on her desk. And I said, are those mine? And she said, I'm sorry, I got hungry. There was a need for forgiveness in that instant. <laughs> it's easy to forgive something simple like that. And you know, it's even easy to forgive an accident. Since we're coming out of the Christmas season, I think this is a, a good example. When I was young, I received a Hot Wheel one year in my stocking for Christmas, my favorite Hot Wheel. It was blue, it had a green glass top, it was a Bugatti. And I remember thinking, I'm going to keep this for the rest of my life and put it in a glass case whenever I get older. This is my favorite Hot Wheel. And I played with it, and I played with it, and I played with it. Well, one day comes along, my brother, Corey, asks, he's like, hey, can I play with your Hot Wheel? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to share, sure, you can play with my Hot Wheel. It wasn't long after... It was brought back to me in pieces, as well as my heart with it, because that was my favorite Hot Wheel. But you know what? It was easy to forgive him. Why? Because it was an accident. He was sorry. It's easy to forgive an accident. The next year at Christmas, I didn't get a Hot Wheel. I was upgraded to a remote control helicopter. And I thought, now we've leveled up. Now we're getting somewhere. And I spent all day Christmas Day perfecting my flying techniques with that RC helicopter. And I remember Christmas night, I was trying to work on my landing, and I finally got the perfect landing, the exact maneuvers that I needed, and I thought, this is it. I'm the remote control helicopter master. And I wasn't paying attention, and I landed it right in the doorway between the kitchen and the living room of my grandparents' house, and my least favorite sister, which also happens to be my only sister, comes walking through the doorway and steps right on my RC helicopter and crutches it along with my Christmas that year. And I was so sad. But you know what? It was easy to forgive her because it was an accident. It was easy when it's an accident. It's a little bit harder to forgive something that's done on purpose. It's harder to forgive something that's done repeatedly. 
it's hard to do to forgive something that's done in spite. Um, since we're talking about my childhood and revealing all of my dark secrets, I've got a couple more stories. When I was uh, smaller, I was up on the top bunk of the bed, and my oldest brother Kyle had a pocket knife, and he's stabbing the mattress underneath me. Well, in my little mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to get stabbed in the back, but that's what he was doing. And so I thought, if I lean over and say, hey, don't do that, I want to get stabbed in the back, he's an older brother, why does he care? So instead, I said, mother and father wouldn't like you to do that to the mattress, thinking that I would carry a little more weight and authority. And he said, yeah, well, they wouldn't like this either. And he pulls me off the top bunk, and he goes to what I thought to put the knife up to my throat, and I blocked it with my hand, and he cut my finger all the way to the bone. To this day, when I carry something heavy or whenever it gets cold, this finger burns, and I still have a scar that goes almost all the way around my finger. That thing bled for 30 minutes, and we didn't want to tell my parents. It's bad enough to tell your parents when something bad happens. On top of that, my father worked third shift. He was asleep. My mother was taking care of all six of us kids, plus homeschooling us. She was taking a well-deserved nap, and we didn't want to wake them up. Eventually, after 30 minutes, we decided this isn't stopping. We should probably tell them. Around that time, I blacked out. But I survived through it all. You know, it was a little bit harder to forgive somebody who hurts you intentionally. My brother, Tyler used to come up and just sock me in the arm every single day to the point where it would cramp, and I hated him for it. It's harder to forgive somebody who intentionally hurts you over and over and over. Now, I know that these are silly, childish examples, but apply it to your own life. You know what it is that irks you. You know who that person is that hurt you. You know what the situation is that you just can't seem to forgive, but you can forgive. You have to forgive. Doctors say that we elevate our risk of cancer several hundred percent when we hold a grudge. Our pain sensitivity goes up and our stress levels increase drastically. In other words, you are literally hurting yourself when you hold the grudge. Perhaps you've been holding on to a grudge for so long that you think you could never get over it. Mark eleven twenty six, 26, the Bible says, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven Forgive your trespasses. Hey, you want to be right with God? you got to be right with the people around you. You can't hold a grudge with your fellow man and expect to have sweet fellowship with God. That's not how it works. we got to be right with the people around us before we can be right with God. One of the biggest obstacles to forgiveness today, I believe, is this victim mentality that people have had the mindset of. When Colonel Sanders was just six years old, his father died. He could have said, oh, I don't have a father figure. I don't have anybody to lead me. I don't have anybody to teach me. I'm just going to give up. I'm a victim of my circumstances. But he didn't do that. He dropped out of school in seventh grade to be a farmhand and help support his family. It was hard work, and he got very little pay for it. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, well, I had to give up my education. I had to work hard for my family. I'll just, my whole life is just a victim of my circumstances. But he didn't do that. He was fired from several jobs before starting his own restaurant. He worked through it. He was not a victim of his circumstances. And I don't know about you. I've read through the Bible. I've read all the way to the end, and we win. Uh, why do we want to be the victim? It's easy to say, oh, well, it's their fault. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. We need to have a spirit of forgiveness. Don't be a victim. Be a victor. You know, there's so much bitterness in the world today. We're taught 
to hate one side or the other when it comes to politics or when it comes to uh, churches or something like that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Hate permeates our society. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight. Maybe you're bitter against somebody. Maybe you're bitter against someone. Uh, maybe it's a coworker, somebody that just rubs you the wrong way, somebody that you just cannot stand. Maybe you're bitter against them. Hey, don't let that person control your spirit. Have some forgiveness. Maybe it's a, a family member, somebody that you share your own last name with. Colossians 3.19, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You know, it's possible to be bitter against the very people that you live with and you spend time with. Hey, don't hold a grudge against somebody. Forgive. What about maybe a church member, somebody here? Maybe they stole your parking spot or stole your seat. I don't know. Hey, don't hold a grudge against another church member. Maybe you're bitter at the church, bitter at the pastor. Maybe you think that pastor has a surveillance system inside your home or he's been checking your web history or following you around asking people about you. Uh, that's just the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've got a problem with God, not a problem with the man of God. Maybe you felt like you deserved that position. Maybe you feel like, no, well, I should have been the deacon or I should have been the usher and that should have been me. Hey, don't be bitter. Don't hold a grudge. We've got such a short life. Don't waste it wishing away something else. Maybe you're bitter at a friend that lets you down. Whatever the case, there's not one person that we cannot forgive. And you know why I know that? Because we have been forgiven. Look at that verse again. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know why I know you can forgive? Because we have been forgiven. Jesus was tortured and hung on a literal cross, and yet he forgave. I don't know about you. I don't see any of us with nail scars in our hands. We can forgive. We can get over it. Luke 23, 34, the Bible says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When somebody does you wrong, think of the pain that Jesus suffered. If he can forgive that, then you can forgive. You know, there are some people that you will have to forgive daily. Uh, it's not an easy process when somebody hurts you. There are some pains and some wounds that go deep. But 1 John 1, 9 reminds us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I don't know about you, but there are several times throughout every day that I have to stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I thought that. I don't know why I said that. Lord, would you forgive me? And you know what? There's not been one time that he didn't forgive me. He is faithful to forgive our sins, and as he is faithful, we should also be faithful to forgive the people that are around us. But here's the thing. A heart that forgives is a heart that's full of the Holy Spirit. There are some, some hurts that go too deep that you're not able to forgive them in and of yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to help you forgive. And you know what? He can do it. If he can forgive you of your sins, he can help us to be forgiving toward others. We have to be full of the Holy Spirit. I mean moldable, teachable. So much so that when the Holy Spirit says, uh, take out the trash, change the baby's diaper. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of my wife. Never mind. But when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to do something, then we need to be so moldable. We say, you know what, Holy Spirit, if I need to forgive that person, then help me to forgive them. We need to have forgiveness. And I'll throw this in there again. Your family should see and experience your forgiveness more than anybody else. If you can be forgiving to your family, the people we spend the most time with, it'll be a little bit easier to be forgiving to others. Thirdly and lastly, if we're going to be a KFC Christian, number one, we have to be, we need some kindness. Number two, we need some forgiveness. And number three, we need some compassion, some compassion. Look at verse number 32. The Bible says, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted. Now, 
I'm not one that usually does the Greek and Hebrew word studies. Sometimes it's fun to get into a little bit. I thought this was interesting. The Greek word, I won't even try to say it, for tender-hearted literally means well-compassioned, well-compassioned. And it gives the idea of an athlete that is developing a specific set of muscles. Uh, when you think of a runner, what does a runner do? They have to work on their legs. If you don't have good leg muscles, you're not going to be a very good runner. If you, don't, if you can't breathe very well, uh, if you're going to be a weightlifter, what do you have to do? You have to work out your arms, your chest. Uh, you have to focus on a specific set of muscles. Athletes will take uh, one, one at a time, try to tone a specific group of muscles. Why is that? Because they will want to focus on it and on purpose develop those muscles. That's what God is saying. He said, you know what? If you're going to develop a sense of compassion, it has to be on purpose. It's not something that just naturally comes to us. You say, well, how do we have some compassion? Before we get to that, let me tell you some areas where we can show some, some compassion. Number one, and very simply, have some compassion on the lost. Have some compassion on the lost. I don't know about you. Every time we have a missionary come through here, and they show us those pictures, and they talk about the people, and they show the need. My heart throbs, and it says, man, I want to be there. I want to have a part in that. I want to know the language. I want to be able to reach those people on that mission field. But God's called me here, and I'm thankful that he's called me here. So what can I do? I can give to missions, maybe not as much as I would always like to, but we can all be a part in having compassion on the lost. What about soul winning? We can always go door knocking. Confront people with their need of the gospel. You want to have some compassion on the lost? Go door knocking. Go meet the people where they are. They're not going to come to you. You have to go to them. What about those coworkers that you work with every single day? Do they know that you're a Christian? Um, and, and this is something that I realized when, <clears throat> when I was working in college. I realized, you know what? I didn't get to where I am because I had the perfect resume. I didn't get to where I am because I'm a hard worker. Uh, now, I tried to work hard, and I tried to have a good resume, but you know what? I realized that God put me where I was to be a light to the people that were around me. Yes, God used that job to fulfill my needs, and I'm thankful for it, but I was there for a greater purpose. What about us? Is our light at the workplace shining bright for all to see, or is it flickering and dying? Do we have compassion on the people that we work with? Are we a steady light for them to see that they can have a place where they can hear the gospel, that they know that they can come to you because you are a Christian. We should have compassion on our coworkers. We should have compassion on our neighbors. Um, man, I tell you, you want to have some compassion? Hop on a bus route. Uh, working in the bus ministry will teach you compassion like none other. Um, but uh, every, every Saturday morning, uh, we have our meeting, and I'll say a couple of announcements, and then Brother Triplett will get up and say a few words. And he's mentioned a few times over the last few months about how uh, he felt the need to witness to his neighbors. And so we went around, and he invited all of his neighbors to church. And every time he said that, I thought, you know what? I just moved into my neighborhood. I should, I should probably talk to some of my neighbors. And I've talked to a few of my neighbors, but there's one neighbor that lives to the left of me. He's a little gruff doesn't really like to talk. He doesn't like contact. He does, he's kind of more of a standoffish type of guy. And, and I thought, you know what, I probably should talk to him at some point. And the opportunity opened up last week to talk to him. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this man the gospel. And I did. He didn't get saved. But when he saw the compassion that I cared for his soul, he eased up a little bit. He was willing to talk a little more. You know why? Because people realize when you have compassion. People realize when you care when you care about their need. And it says something, when you care more about somebody's eternity than they do themselves. They realize that. Have some compassion on your neighbors. Ask yourself, when was the last time 
that you were moved with compassion on the lost? When was the last time that your heart ached to see somebody saved? Uh, you say, well, I can't go out so many. That's okay. When you go to the grocery store, witness to somebody there. When you go to the restaurant, witness to somebody there. When you're standing in line somewhere, witness to somebody there. We are to be a witness. That's what a Christian is. Uh, read the book of Acts. That's why God left us here was to be a witness, have some compassion on the lost, but not just on the lost, but some compassion on your friends. Have some compassion on your friends. I remember as a little kid, um, I mean, we were there were eight of us in a small household and one income. Now, we never lacked. The Lord fulfilled our needs, and I wouldn't change my childhood if I could. Uh, but, you know, we didn't have a lot, and I was fine with that. And I remember our pastor and his wife, they happened to be just down the street, which is a big deal when you live out in the country, and they came by and they said, hey, we got all this extra meat, we want to pack out your freezer. And they packed out our freezer with meat. Why? Because they had compassion on us. They had compassion on their friends. I was working with a bus family uh, in the bus route I used to captain, and there was a, uh, a lady who was taking care of some kids that weren't hers, and she was taking care of her mother at the same time. Her mother passed away. And she was having a very difficult time with things. And so I talked to her and I said, uh, you know, talk to me. What, what's going on? It's like, what, where are you at with the funeral? Because she had never been through this before. And uh, I told her, I said, whatever you need with the funeral. I was like, we'll help preach. We'll help, you know, do some of the service, whatever you need. And us and some of the workers, we were able to help her out with that. And showing that compassion helped her to be more open to us. And then beyond that, I noticed that none of the lights were on in her house, none of the digital clocks were on, and so I asked her, I said, uh, did you not pay your electric bill this month? And she's like, no, with all the money going to the funeral, we just didn't have it. And I said, okay. And so I got some of the bus workers together, and we all gave a little bit, and we were able to pay her electric bill for that month. That was in December. I mean, it was cold. It's not like here where it's 75 degrees and balmy. This was in Kentucky where it was cold. And I was able, we, were, we were having a little bit of compassion on them, and they were able to have heat. You know what? Because of that compassion, she came to church. And because of that compassion, her kids never missed until the day that I left that bus route. Why? Because a little bit of compassion goes a long way. Show compassion to the lost. Show compassion on your friends. Have some compassion with your family. Your family should see your compassion more than anyone else. You should be more understanding with your family members than you are the stranger that you bump into at Walmart. You should be more understanding with the people that you see every day. It's a sad thing when families are split. It's a sad thing when families don't talk to each other. We should have some compassion with the people that we live with every day because what happens at home will display itself outside the home eventually. Um, it becomes evident whenever you put on your smile at church, but then as soon as you get in the car to leave, you're mad and you're griping out each other. Hey, that shouldn't be our life. Uh, some examples, five times in Psalms, the Bible describes the Lord as being full of compassion. Would that characterize our life? Are we full of compassion? Are we tender-hearted toward the people that are around us? Uh, we should be full of compassion. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, book of Matthew. When the prodigal son returned home, he found a father who had compassion on him, ran and kissed his neck. I think it's important to note, too, that the father showed his compassion by staying home and doing what was right. Sometimes it's hard when you have a family member that goes off and does wrong. I know the feeling, but you know what you can do? You can have compassion, the greatest sense of compassion you can have. Stay home. Do what's right. Don't go down to the hog pen with them. That's not showing them compassion. That's justifying their wrongdoing. Well, the best thing you can do by showing compassion is staying home and doing what's right. Hebrews implores us to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. You know, there's some people that are ignorant. They just don't know any better. Uh, you know, this is a growing church. Praise the Lord for it. 
But, you know, there's some new Christians. There's some young Christians who sometimes they just don't know any better. Hey, have some compassion. Help them out a little bit. Encourage them along the way. The book of 1 Peter commands us to have compassion one of another. You know what will keep this church together and keep it strong? Having compassion on each other. Uh, not getting mad and easily upset with each other. Keeping things going strong. Jude verse 22, I believe, sums it up well by saying, And of some have compassion, making a difference. It's easy to sit back and say, well, I have compassion because I have feelings. Uh, you know, I see a need and I'm like, wow, I want to do something about that. But true compassion makes a difference. True compassion says, I don't just want to see somebody saved. I'm going to go out and do the work to see somebody saved. I don't just want to make a difference. I'm going to go out and do the work to make a difference. We need to have some compassion. Compassion can be easily defined as seeing a need and filling it. Maybe it's not always going to be a physical need, it might be a spiritual one. Maybe somebody needs some encouragement. Hey, have some compassion. Go help out a friend that's in need. Um, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know where you're going to get compassion? By doing the work that comes along with compassion. Um, whenever you go out door knocking and you see the need, chances are you're going to want to do even more. Whenever you work on a bus route and you see the need, chances are you're going to want to do even more. Um, you know how you get some compassion? You go out and you do what's needed to get some compassion. So my challenge to you tonight is very simple, easy, simple enough that even a junior church kid can understand it. Let's be a KFC kind of Christian. You say, Brother Jackson, I'm too old or I'm too stuck in my ways to change. Uh, Colonel Sanders was 40 years old the first time he served his famous fried chicken and 64 years old when he started the KFC franchise. Most people would look at themselves at 64 years old and say, well, my life's, you know, for the most part, done. my best years are done behind me, so I'm just going to cruise on to the end. Not Colonel Sanders. 64 years old when he started the KFC franchise. Let's on purpose be a KFC Christian. And every time we see a Kentucky Fried Chicken sign, I would hope and pray that maybe we would remember to be a kind and forgiving and compassionate Christian.